Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I don't have any comments, so that's not my fault. That's all of your fault out there listening. So so if you can get some comments in, I'd really appreciate it. Now, I know it's busy time of year, but uh, but we still need it. Now, with me in the studio today is my Golden Throat producer, Mr. Dan Arnfield. Good afternoon, Dan. Hello. You're going to sing for us one of these days? <laughs> he has one of the most beautiful voices that I've ever heard. So we'll have to have Dan sing. Or maybe we'll do a program on music and let Dan sing for us. So, Also with me in the studio today is one of my most wonderful friends of literature, Mr. Grant Turgeon. Welcome back into the studio. What Mr. about my Turgeon. voice? Uh, you, you, have, <laughs> you have the perfect radio voice. Not a singing voice. Well, I haven't heard you sing. Well, I'm just telling you. Oh. <laughs> so you're telling me it's not good. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, we'll just accept that. <laughs> All right. I have the radio voice. I can't sing worth beans. My wife even tells me when we're singing hymns, she says, would you slow down a little bit? Would you <laughs> Would you not do the deep voice thing? Would you just try and do normal? You know, so anyway, but that's the way it goes. All right. So on our last program, we discussed chapters 110 and 127. Now, both of those chapters dealt with Queequeg's near-death experience, his requested coffin, and Ahab's great hatred for the coffin. And uh, essentially, all of you listeners out there, and I know some of you are really experts on the book now, waiting for us to get this done. But uh, these chapters really mean that we're drawing very close to the end of Moby Dick. And a lot of them are actually foreshadowing what we're going to eventually see. And uh, there's probably no... Uh, everyone out there has probably read through the whole book by now anyway, so you know what's coming. But uh, I think with this program, I think we only have one more program left to tape after today's program. Now, we could I could be wrong about that. But uh, all these chapters, remember, are foreshadowing of things to come. So the first chapter we want to get into today is chapter 128, and I'm going to let Mr. Turgeon start out here. So, All right, thank you. Well, the Pequod meets the Rachel. This is maybe the saddest chapter in the whole book because basically the captain of the Rachel boards the Pequod. He starts talking with Ahab, and he wants Ahab to lend his ship to this effort of searching the ocean for one of the lost boats of the Rachel. So basically the Rachel spotted a whale. They were trying to catch it. And then in the chaos, the ship got so far away from one of its boats that now they can't find the boat. So the captain of the Rachel wants Ahab and the Pequod to help out with searching for this boat. So at the bottom of page 577, Stubb, is basically whispering to, to Flask, and he's accusing the captain of the Rachel for only caring so much about this boat because someone on that boat must have stolen the captain's best coat or maybe his watch. 
And then in the middle of Stubb whispering this to Flask, the captain of the Rachel actually tells the full truth. My boy, my own boy is among them. So the captain's son is lost at sea on this boat, and that's why he's so urgent about finding the boat and the men on the boat. Right. If you actually get through the whole chapter and you, and you read it in detail, he has two sons okay, that right. are missing. And the son the son that he's really hunting for is a 12-year-old. The youngest one, right? Right. He's yeah. the youngest one. And then I, I was really shocked at Stubb and Flask's discussion. They were really sarcastic yeah. about this. And then I think the other thing we ought to bring out is Ahab's view of this. He knows this captain. It's Captain Gardner, and he's a Nantucketer, too. He knows him, and that's not revealed to the end of the chapter. But he knows him, and he is just so caught up with getting Moby Dick. He found out what he wanted to know, because this guy just ran into Moby the Dick. That Moby the Dick, or Moby. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a website called uh, Moby Dicky, you know. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, he knows his captain. He has his own son at home, and even the captain says, well, look, you have your own son at home. But Ahab is so caught up. Now he knows Moby Dick is in the area. Now he knows that this guy has, you know, encountered Moby Dick. And the reason why the boat, uh, they can't find the boat is Moby Dick crashed it. He trashed the boat. And it's kind of interesting. One of the things is that this chapter is really like the Gabriel chapter. And if you really pay attention to it, I know it's, it's, you really have to concentrate on it. But there is an old sailor on this boat called the Manx Man. Do you remember him? Well, the Manx Man, is, he's from the Isle of Man. And uh, he's the oldest one on the crew. And he said when he sees the Rachel pull up, he says, oh, there's going to be bad news bad news and so he's a prophet <laughs> he's like gabriel only only he's not as crazy as gabriel but he says he says just a little bit later you know that once everyone's talking about oh trying to chase after this boat he says I, they're all dead anyway they're all drowned he said i heard all their spirits so he's there he is gabriel <laughs> so no wonder yeah no wonder this ship has been sailing everywhere looking for the missing boat right. Right. And so that that would make sense why they can't find it anywhere. Right. They can't find it because it's gone. And so anyway, Ahab, to me, Ahab is just totally arrogant and ignorant. With this as a captain, he knows. And he's not, it has no sympathy for him whatsoever. He's just, now he knows, you know, Moby Dick's in sight. That's, it's like he's like a raving wolf. There's meat. I got to get there. And the captain of the Rachel even said, "Look, if you let us work with you for 48 hours, we'll pay for the entire cost of all that." So, this financially would have been a good decision for Ahab to participate in this search and rescue mission, but Ahab just cannot be bothered. And it's really disturbing toward the end of the chapter, basically um Captain Gardner believes that Ahab has been convinced, and so he starts telling all of his men to get going back to their ship and let's let's get ready to to search together with the Pequod. And then Ahab says, Avast, touch not a rope yarn, 
So Ahab's like, wait a second, I did not approve of this. We're actually not going to help you at all. Yeah. I have to I have a whale to catch. And so forget about your twelve year old son that's missing on the sea. Yeah. But he, he doesn't even listen to Gardner because Gardner tells him it was violent with Moby Dick. That's why they've lost the boat. You know, that that Moby Dick was it's like he came out of nowhere and they, they actually harpooned him, but then he crashed the boats. You know, and that's that's they had heard they had heard that before. It really does put the put everybody, I think, uh Stubb and Flask have that sarcastic view, but the other people are listening as well, the other crew members. And uh, again, the Manx man prophesies the boys drowned, but Ahab says, I will not do it. I will not help. You know, so they actually do. They go off, and uh, the very last line of that chapter is really sad. It says, she was Rachel weeping for her children because they were not. And that's taken right from the Bible. That's Matthew 2.18 and Jeremiah 31.15. So you can see that, and I think I've said this before, not only was Melville studying Shakespeare at this time, and even these chapters, especially the next one, it's, it's a real example of him imitating Shakespeare. But I think he was also reading the Bible quite heavily at the same time. Because why does he pick the name Rachel for the ship? Obviously, he's taken it right out of the Bible. So you can see he's borrowing some really, really good things, um, you know, from the Bible and from Shakespeare. And that's why it makes it such a great novel. But I think it was also that when he wrote this about Ahab, he said, um, Ahab resisted Captain Gardner like an anvil. You couldn't hit him hard enough. He still wouldn't do it. He, st- he still wouldn't, uh, um, you know, go along with it. So anything else there, Mr. Turgeon, that you want to, from this chapter? Well, that just shows the power of Captain Ahab's will. And you even start seeing that more a couple chapters from now, which we'll also talk about just how his will domineers over everyone. It doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter if there's a better uh, decision that could be made. He's just so set on one outcome, this mighty conflict with Moby Dick. Yeah. Nothing else will satisfy him at all. No, no, nothing. It's just, in some ways, you know, I think in terms of leadership, if you're a leader over the right thing and you have that kind of an attitude, it's great. You know, look, look, we've got to get this done. We're not going to stop, even though there might be some problems. But to do it in a vicious, evil way is just really corrupt. And really, that's what we're experiencing the world over. All these dictators are taking over. And America is really suffering right now. I don't want to get into it too much, but the current president wants to run again. And four more years, he'll be like, what, 90? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, uh, he can't get on stage by himself. And he forgets what he's supposed to say. So uh, we'll have to see how this is all going to turn out. All right, let's move on to the next chapter. And, and I think it's, uh, I, I picked these three for today because they're real small. So we don't have to do a lot of preparation for it. But chapter 129 is titled The Cabin. And if you look in your book, and you notice down, it says The Cabin, and then there's a little parentheses, and it shows, it says, Ahab moving to go on deck. Pip catches him by the hand to follow, and then it ends with another parenthesis. That's like a scene from a play. So you can see he was reading Shakespeare at this time. 
you know, and so he, he's just borrowing the scene. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and start on this one as well. This entire chapter is just dialogue between Ahab and Pip. And then once Ahab goes back to the deck and Pip is stuck below deck, it's now Pip just talking to himself. So the entire chapter is just uh, two men talking, basically. And what a funny pair Ahab and Pip are, both insane in their own different way. Pip was a, a meek black cabin boy, and then he was sent out on one of the boats to chase after a whale once because one of the regulars was sick and then pip just wasn't used to that experience and twice he jumped overboard (laughs) the second time (laughs) he was actually left for dead and thankfully for him he was still rescued later but he was floundering out in the ocean for a while and while he was that close to death it seems like maybe he he lost his mind he he did on the one hand consider some of the deeper aspects of life but also it really made him lose a lot of his uh, sanity as well. And then, of course, Ahab is insane for a different reason because he is so focused on getting revenge against Moby Dick who took Ahab's leg. So they're insane for their different (laughs) reasons. And that's why this chapter is so funny. This is chapter 129, The Cabin. And basically, Pip is trying to follow Ahab everywhere and Ahab wants to protect Pip. He doesn't want Pip out in the middle of the action as they know that Moby Dick is close by and are going to try to pursue him. So it, like you said uh, before the show, Ahab is now trying so hard to protect Pip, but he didn't even care about helping to rescue the Rachel's captain's son at all. Not at all. No, it's, it's a, I think it's some of the really important things in the chapter are at the very beginning, Ahab recognizes actually that he has gone mad because of his search to destroy Moby Dick. You know, he says, lad, lad, I will tell you, thou must not follow Ahab now. The hour is coming when Ahab would not scare you from him, yet would not have you by him. So he knows he's going to be tangling with Moby Dick, and he doesn't want Pip anywhere near there. And then he actually says, he's really, he says, I really feel sorry. He goes down to say, I really feel sorry that Stubb left you out in the ocean all that time. (laughs) (laughs) So he knows, he he knows the history. And, uh, but they are both very close. Like Ahab was basically saying there to Pip, like, I, I want your support, but I also want you to stay away from me. So you're safe. So even for Ahab to be separate from Pip for any amount of time at this point, is pretty difficult. Yeah, he says that Pip was his cure. Yeah. <laughs> and Pip says, well, you have to let me follow you. You only have one leg. I'll be your second leg. I'll be That's your what, second leg. basically what Pip says. <laughs> yeah. And then Ahab goes back and says, well, yeah, they left you in the water too long and it made your bones white, but you still have black skin. <laughs> right. You know, and so he's thinking about the leg, you know, that, hey, well, man, uh, Pip has white bone legs you know, it's, it's almost like the ivory legs that right. the, the carpenter was making for him so i i just want to talk to melville sometime and say how did you keep all this stuff together you know he he pulls it from other chapters he just pulls it in there and makes it makes it uh one thing um he also then which is really really funny in this chapter is ahab makes pip the captain right <laughs> he said you sit in my seat and they're gonna treat you like you're the captain 
you stay in here and you sit on this seat and then you're going to be the captain. He, he tells Pip to become like a screw of the seat. Like, stay attached. <laughs> Don't get up from this seat. Don't you dare, no matter how much you hear me walking above your head on the deck, do not come up above the deck. Yeah. Then uh, if you look at page 581 too, what's really good about this chapter is, is again, it's like a play. It's like a scene in a, a play. Notice the parenthesis there. It says, Ahab goes. Then Pip steps one step forward. So what's really funny is this is now Pip's big soliloquy in the play. And he says, here this instant stood, I stand in his air, but I'm alone. So now it's like almost like something out of Hamlet. (laughs) He says, now we're even poor Pip here. I could endure it, but he's missing. So so he's saying Ahab's gone. So he goes, Pip, Pip, ding, dong, ding. <laughs> Who's seen Pip? He must be up here. Let's try the door. <laughs> he doesn't even see again. He thinks of himself as like an alter ego of Pip. Yeah. Like he thinks the real Pip is dead, and he's the, the Pip that somehow survived the ocean disaster when he thought he was going to drown and i like how he describes i think he's talking about his brain it's like ding dong is anyone home upstairs (laughs) and then he's and then he's knocking on the door and he's pushing on the door and he can't get in even though there's no lock so he just can't access the full power of his brain anymore is it seems like he's saying yeah then he goes down there towards the end he says what an odd feeling now when a black boy's host to white men with gold lace upon their coats so he says, like, uh, what he's talking about are, are epithets, and those are like the uh, captain of a ship would wear them on his shoulder, oriental, they're a bit like gold. And he's saying, well, I got that now. I mean, I got, I got that. He says, messieurs, have you seen one, Pip? A little negro lad five feet high, hangdog look and cowardly, jumped from a well boat once, seen him? No, well then, fill up again, captains, and let's drink shame upon all cowards. <laughs> So so he's now acting like he's the captain. And he said, did you know about Pip? Did you hear about that story about Pip? <laughs> well, then he says, I named no names after just saying Pip yeah. as the coward that he's talking about. Yeah. He says, I named no names. Yeah, shame on all cowards. Hissed above there, I hear ivory. Oh, master, master, I am indeed downhearted when you walk over me. So he hears, he hears Ahab walking up above him. And he says, but I'll stay here, though. The stern strikes rocks, and they bulge through, and oysters come to join me. <laughs> Even he'll go down with the ship. He's not getting up because that's what Ahab told him. Yeah, that's how convincing and powerful Ahab is too. Yeah, and Pip's willing to just die there for him. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny. Well, he does die. We know at the end he goes down with the ship too. All right. Anything else there? I just for all of you out there, just really go over and read over and over again Pip's soliloquy. It's just, it's just great. It's great writing, and uh, uh, again, it might get you interested in listening to Shakespeare. And remember, I have the other podcast, Shakespeare's Royal Education, so uh, you need to tap into that as well. All right, let's talk about the hat. <laughs> All right, so we had some comic relief in the previous chapter because chapter one thirty, the hat is very dark. It's, it is, it is, it is, really it is disturbing because it talks about the look in Ahab's eyes and how it's scaring the whole crew. Now now they're within striking distance of Moby Dick and everyone can tell that something has changed in Ahab's eyes. 
and it says it was hardly sufferable for feeble souls to see what was in Ahab's eyes. That's that's how intense and intimidating Ahab's eyes were. And then it also talks about how Ahab's eyes domineered above everyone else. Just basically his glare made everyone work hard on the ship, but it also lowered their morale. It made them scared. It made them sort of sad and feeling like they were doomed. And then it also starts talking in this chapter about Fadala and how a change has come over Fadala as well. Just like it did with Ahab, Fadala has this added gliding strangeness and ceaseless shudderings shook him. And then it talks about how Ahab and Fadala are basically standing in one spot of the ship all day and all night, just staring across at each other. They don't even speak to each other, but it's like they're thinking the same thing. And Ahab dominates over him like he's a slave, even though they're both staring each other down and they have the same purpose to kill Moby Dick. It's still very clear who's in charge. And that's Ahab. Yeah. It's uh, what, Melville says is that they have this mystic connection. They don't even need to speak. Yeah, they don't need to, to understand. Speak. Yeah, yeah, and that, that he says that Ahab is the overlord, but Fidel is the slave. But you know, remember now, Fidel is a prophet too. And he said to Ahab, you're going to die, but you're going to see me dead first. And then you're going to die. So I think, I think, uh, Fidel knows it's like the hour has come. You know, he knows this is over. It's going to be well, over soon. Fadala seems really uh, demonic as well. Oh in, yeah, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. He just seems he just seems like he's not really. That's even what it says about <laughs> the crew. Don't even really understand if he's actually of mortal substance. It says on page five eighty three, they can't even really tell. Is this an actual human being that yeah. we're dealing with here? Because he did a, appear like a phantom out of nowhere on the ship. Oh, Remember, yeah. like well after they left shore. He, right. he comes out of nowhere. That's right. And no one's even sure if Fadala ever sleeps. He's just standing dead still for hours at a time. He doesn't even slouch or lean over or, or try to sit down in one place. He's just standing straight Stay. all day long. Yeah. And Ahab, too. All day, all night, it doesn't even seem like they're sleeping at this point. Yeah, it's, it's like they, you know, if you go back a couple programs, we talked about Zoroaster. It's like he's one of the Zoroastrian priests. And it would be the same priest that Daniel dealt with in Babylon. It's part of the Babylon mystery religion. And so, so you know, it's just fraught with demons and Satan the devil. And, and yet Ahab used Fidelo. He used him. You know, it is kind of weird. I mean, that how he got all this together... I don't know how he did it. It's spooky even to read this chapter. It's really disturbing in some ways. I mean, Ahab, Ahab's on this ceaseless watch and he's got this hat low over his eyes. So, I mean, theoretically under that hat, he could be dozing while standing, but it looks like to all the crew that he's just endlessly staring at them. And then, and then, uh, Melville describes Ahab as his clothes get damp overnight, but then he's still standing in the same spot the next day. So the sun dries his clothes out and then they get damp the next night. He's not changing his clothes. He's not moving. He never goes below the deck anymore. So, which is why it seems like he probably doesn't sleep either. Right. And I, I think what's happening is the climate, the, the climate on the ship is really bad because no one can trust anybody and that they, they all feel 
they're filming it. You know, it's like that. You remember the party when they had the doubloon and they all did their spears and they all did that. They had a big party. Well, it's not a party now. <laughs> and, and, and I, I don't think even Ishmael got into it, but I don't think they realized where it was really heading. But now they all do because, well, they heard from Gardner. Oh yeah, we saw Moby Dick and he crashed one of our boats. So you could get, and he has, he has the goo. He has, you know, they're, they're more the pagan. Tashtigo. Tashtigo. They're more, (laughs) yeah, they're more of the pagans. They're the harpoonists. He's got them there. He feels like he's going to make it with them. They're probably not as afraid as the other guys are, but it's still, you know, Fidella and Ahab didn't speak to each other. The crew is absolutely depressed. The thing that's really funny is, is I think it's the key to, to the middle of the chapter. It says there, after a few days when the watchmen on the Pequod haven't sighted Moby Dick, Ahab starts to believe that all the Christian men are intentionally keeping quiet. Mm. So now he's thinking, oh, they know Moby Dick's out there. They've seen him, but they're not telling me. <laughs> it's funny how Melville, Melville portrays the crew. Like you said, the pagans seem like they're trustworthy, but it's not like they have no ability to deceive. It's just they're out there for a job and they will reliably do whatever Ahab tells them. Right. They don't necessarily put all this extra thought into life and death. They're like mercenaries. They're like robots. They'll just automatically do what they were programmed to do on the ship. But then the rest of the crew, Ahab realizes they're scared their morale is low. They're actually thinking about if it's even a good idea for us to chase the whale. But then ironically, Ahab actually chooses Starbuck to watch him. So Ahab, Ahab rigs up this basket and, and he gets pulled up the mast by a rope so that he can perch high above the ship and, and start looking for the whale himself. Heck but then the, the rope that pulled the basket up has to be tied down on the deck, and there has to be a man watching that rope so that no one accidentally unties it while they're untying other ropes right. and sends Ahab tumbling into the ocean. So Ahab chooses Starbuck to guard his rope. Right. Starbuck is the one guy in the book who has considered assassinating Ahab to <laughs> yeah. save the whole crew. Right. And Ahab knows that Star- he can't trust Starbuck at all. Yeah. And yet he still, as just an assertion of his power, picks Starbuck to, to guard the rope. Yeah, it is amazing. The, the thing is, too, it's like all the Christians are bad men. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like in the world today, you know, with the whole transgender thing and uh, a horrible situation. And it's like, oh, uh, no. It's the Christians that are the problem. The bigots. Yeah, the bigots. <laughs> and the, the new guy that's just got stuck with uh, releasing the secret documents. Mm. Well, he's a Christian. He's a Christian. He likes guns. He goes to gun, he goes to gun shows, you know, so he's the bad guy. <laughs> so, so anyway, but the real thing that Ahab wants is he wants the doubloon. Now that's what's really he, he yells it out too. I'm going to be the first one to see, see the if, whale, so I, I get, get the, the balloon. balloon. You know, so so that's what he wants. He wants 14 bucks for himself. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, that has to really hurt the morale even more because Oof. he presented this gold coin as a way to get everyone to wholeheartedly pursue the whale with him, and now he gives up this illusion and he says, "Well, actually, 
I want the coin anyway. Hopefully I get the coin, even though this is the whole reason you guys have supported me this whole time. Yeah. The funniest thing then is that Ahab gets up there in the loft and the, this black hawk comes by and steals his hat and drops it into the ocean. And uh, a lot of people don't know what that means. They, they can't understand it. And I think I know. Now, you can agree with me or disagree with me. Maybe if you disagree with me out there, you'll write some letters into the Say something program. controversial so people will write you. Yeah, well, I'm going to say a controversial <laughs> thing now. All right. So I think what this means is that when the Blackhawk comes by and takes it, is that it, it could mean that Lord Ahab is not king over nature, and they're taking his crown away from him. That's my point on the whole thing. Now, if you go if you go to page 586... At the very end, it says, The eagle flew thrice round Tarquin's head, removing his cap to replace him. Thereupon Tarquin, his wife, declared that Tarquin would be king of Rome. But only by the replacing of the cap was that omen accounted good. So they tossed it in the ocean. So he's not the king. Right. So that, Ahab, Ahab never got his hat yeah. back. And if and yeah. if this uh, Seahawk or whatever it is could steal Ahab's hat, what could a whale do to him? Oh, I mean, boy. that just, that ought to be a warning to him as well. Hey, we're going to find out here. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Now, on our next program, we will stay on the path to our final chapters of Moby Dick, and we'll begin with chapter 131, and we will, well, what will we pick 131? Let me see. Make sure. Yes, 131, and we'll go through the epilogue. And that will end it. And it's going to be a great ending. Now, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. And you also should be able to find a copy in your local library. And, of course, uh, you can also check your local bookstore as well. But please write me any comments you have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. And one thing I do notice that visits and views to JB Literature 1 have increased, so I know you are listening, so I know you have pens and pencils, and then you have paper, so you could write me a comment. So You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. So until next time, keep reading. We will be reading, so you better be reading too. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.